right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses and watching online as well. Before I dive in, let me address our senior pastor, Bob Merritt's announcement last weekend that he's going to be retiring in March. If you were here in May when Bob and I did a message together, you know that Bob is more than just a boss to me. He's a close friend. He's been a mentor for 13 years. I have so much respect for him. I respect his integrity. He's never asked our church to do something that he and his wife, Lori, weren't already doing. I respect his work ethic, his compassion for people. He jokes sometimes about not being a hugger, and he's not really a hugger, but he, he is a people person. I've been in situations, hospital rooms with people who are hurting, and he is just genuinely compassionate in those moments. He has a heart for people who don't know God that just burns within him. It's driven our church for 28 years. And he's super funny. We, we laugh a lot in meetings. In fact, I was thinking the other day that he and I's office is right next to each one another. And I probably talk to him for 45 minutes to an hour every day. And I am really going to miss that. And maybe you are going through the change cycle yourself at some point. But here's what I also feel. I'm also really happy for Bob. Because he did it. He finished the race. And I believe that God is looking at him going, well done, good and faithful servant. He and his wife, Lori, are excited for the next season of their life. He's been here for 28 years. At one time, he was giving seven messages live every weekend. And that just starts to take a toll on a person. I'm so happy that Bob and his family will continue to attend this church. And we have big plans for them. We've got some openings in our nursery. <laughs> and I know it's sad. You won't see Bob speaking up here at front, but here, let me tell you something. Your babies are going to benefit so much from this. They are going to be prepared and disciplined, willing to sacrifice. They're going to be done with that. I don't know what that is, but they're going to be done with it. They're going to get wise, and if their life's not working, it soon will be, okay? Those were all of Bob's book titles, in case you just went right over your head. Half our staff didn't even know that last night. But this is going to transform our, our nursery. Uh, let me also say that I am extremely humbled and excited to be recommended as the next senior pastor of this church. I love this church. Oh, thank you. I love this church. I love that we stand on the truth of Jesus Christ. That is never going to change. I love that we stand on the truth of God's word. That is never going to change. I love that no matter who you are or what you've done or how far you've been from God, you can come to this place and you can feel welcomed and accepted. And that is never going to change. I love that you can invite your family members or your friends to come to church. And even if they haven't been in a while, they don't have to know a bunch of religious jargon. They can come and understand the message and feel like God is applying it to their life. I love that. I love the people of this church. I don't know all of you personally, but I commit to praying for you. And I really do want you to know Jesus Christ and have everything that he wants for you to have. The phrase that God's been rattling around in my head lately is God's not done with us yet. That there's a foundation that's been laid that we now get to build upon. And if you look at statistics around the country, you'll see that there's a growing number of people who say, you know what, I don't have any religious affiliation. I don't necessarily care about Jesus or God or the Bible. And you can see a line of like a high percentage of that moving from the east and from the west. And I've said before that some church, some group of people needs to hold the line. 
some group needs to care enough about people and their eternal destiny to say, you know what, we're willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes to reach those people for Christ. And I really believe that we are that church. That God is not just calling us to be a church of the Twin Cities, but to be a church of the Midwest and to the ends of the earth. And I'm really excited to do that with you. All right, today we are in the fourth and final week of a series called Divine Direction. Wouldn't it be something if you had divine direction regarding a decision that you need to make? I mean, you might know what your coworkers think you should do. You might know what your mother-in-law thinks that you should do. But do you know what God thinks that you should do? That is divine direction. Today's message is titled, Stay. Because there are times when God will say, go. But there are also times when God will say, stay. In fact, many times, the most faith-filled, God-honoring decision that you can make is to stay. Several years ago, my friend David Clark was speaking at our staff meeting, and he told the story about his son. His son was on a guided hunting trip with a few friends up in the mountains of Colorado. They were looking for elk, but they ended up getting snowed in, and they were trudging around in waist-high snow, wet clothes, for five days, and they did not see a single elk. Meanwhile, back home, his wife took this video less than a mile from their house as she was heading to work. Her husband's up in the mountains somewhere, snowed in a cabin, can't get out. They just keep coming. All he had to do was just go to work and roll down his window, right? He could have gotten it that way. But I saw that video for the first time. And I remember thinking to myself, that's how some people are with life. That they think that what they want, what they need, isn't where they're at right now. It's out there somewhere. And so in order for them to get what they want or what they need, they can't stay. They've got to go. But what if what you're looking for, what if the joy and the peace and the meaning and what if what God wants for your life isn't out there somewhere, but is right where you're at? You see, sometimes God will say go, but other times God will say stay. I'll listen to people talk sometimes, and they'll be talking about faith, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, I'm going to take a faith-filled risk, and I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to go take a different job. And there are times when God calls us to take a faith-filled risk and quit a job and go to a different job. But what I've noticed is that I've never heard people say the opposite of that. I've never heard somebody say, you know, I'm going to take a faith-filled risk and I'm going to stay. I mean, it's hard because I don't really get along with some of my coworkers and there's some conflict. I'd rather just get out of here as quick as I can. But I believe that God wants me to develop humility and character, and perseverance. So I'm going to stay. Sometimes the greatest risk that you can take is not to go, but it's to stay. Sometimes the most faith-filled, God-honoring step that you can take isn't to go, it's to stay. See, there are times when God says go and times when God says stay, and you might be wondering right now, which one is God saying to me? Because maybe you're in a situation with your job where you're going, I I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. I don't love it here. There's some other opportunities. I don't know. Does God want me to go or does he want me to stay? You might be in a situation with your school 
where you're thinking, should I transfer or should I not? Should I try to find a different team to be on or should I stay with the team I've been on for the last couple of years? Which one should I do, God? And I don't have the perfect answer to that for you other than to say, here's a general rule of thumb. God rarely tells us to go simply because our current circumstances are difficult. I was trying to think of an example in the Bible this week where somebody's life was so hard and so challenging and God just said, you know what, just, just go. I don't want you to have to deal with that anymore. I couldn't think of one example like that. But isn't that the temptation? Isn't the temptation to think my marriage is so hard? And by the way, I'm not talking about in a physically abusive situation. If you're in that, you need to go immediately. I'm not talking about infidelity. Jesus says that that's permissible then to go, especially if that person's unrepentant or making excuses. I'm just talking about the daily hardship of marriage where you go, we fight about the same stuff. Always fighting about money. Always fighting about the kids. They don't love me. They don't care for me. We've just grown apart from each other. In that moment, it's so tempting to go, you know, what I need is a different marriage. I need to start flirting with my coworker. I need to reconnect with a high school or college friend. I need to start spending time with my spouse's best friend. Because then I think I'd be happy. But what if the joy that you're looking for isn't out there somewhere? But what if it's right in the marriage that you're in? That as you begin to work through problems and resolve conflict, that you would come out on the other side with a deeper intimacy than you ever thought possible. Some of us are in a job situation right now. And you're going, man, I don't appreciate me here. I, I should just go someplace else. And again, there are times to go. But I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor at a different church and I was having conflict with a coworker. And I was young, and I was immature, and so everything in me was like, I don't want to deal with this. So I started putting my resume out there. I applied at a church in Maple Grove of less than 100 people, could not even get an interview. I applied at a church in Woodbury as a youth pastor, so it wasn't even like a promotion. It was a lateral move. 15 seconds into my first answer at the interview, the 75-year-old woman who was the head of the board started making this face. And then she started looking at the people around her. And I'm thinking, I can see you. I'm right across the table from you. I mean, I almost said to him, let's not waste each other's time. Clearly, 15 seconds in, we both could tell this was not going to work. I couldn't get another job to save my life. God had me stay. And I'm so grateful that he did. Because I had to work through that conflict and learn new skills as a leader. You see, to be a human is to want to quit when things get tough. One author calls these quitting points. Every marriage has a quitting point. Usually it's when you have three kids under the age of six. <laughs> and you don't realize the stress that's putting on your marriage. Or it's when your kids graduate and move out of the house and you look at one another and go, I don't think we know each other anymore. It's a quitting point. Every job has a quitting point. Usually it's between the years of three and seven. Honeymoon's kind of worn off, and now you're getting a little bit bored. It's a quitting point. Every diet has a quitting point. Usually it's around day two. <laughs> when your coworker brings in maple bacon donuts, and you're like, gluten-free, schmutin-free. I'm off this thing. <laughs> Anyone here today experiencing 
a quitting point? See, it's a lot easier to quit a hard marriage than it is to work through the problems. It's a lot easier to quit a school, a team, a church, a diet or exercise problem than it is to push through when it gets difficult. But if you quit, here's what happens. Oftentimes you stunt your growth and you stop your progress. What kind of people would you and I be if we quit every time something got hard? I'll tell you what we would be. We'd be uneducated, unemployed, poor, broke, lonely, with no wisdom, experience, or future to speak of. Few things of value in this life ever come easy. In fact, here's what I've learned. I've learned over the years that oftentimes the difference between successful people and people who aren't is perseverance. We think it's talent. We think it's intelligence. We think it's strength. Those things certainly help. But really, oftentimes, the difference between those who succeed and those who don't is the person who succeeds simply says, you know what? I'm just going to outlast that other person for one more day. Here's the question I want you to think about this week. Are you going because it's the right thing to do? Or are you going because it's the easy thing to do? If you can answer that question, you will probably know whether God wants you to go or to stay. There was a woman in the Old Testament who had to answer that question. Her name was Ruth. And the book of Ruth is this little book tucked behind the book of Judges. And it takes place during the time of Judges. And that was not a good time in the history of Israel. The phrase that keeps getting used throughout Judges is, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Now that seems freeing, that seems independent. It seems a little bit like our culture today, where people say, hey, I'm just going to do what I want. I, I need to follow my heart. I need to do what seems right to me. But you know what happens to a culture when everybody just does what's right in their own eyes? Well, people get hurt. Marriages end, kids grow up without a moral compass, and that was the world that Ruth was living in. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, tragically lost her husband in a famine, and then Ruth's husband dies as well. And then, oddly, Orpah, who was also married to one of Naomi's sons, her husband died. So now you've got Naomi with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and they're all three widows. And this was at a time in society when women were not positioned to work and to earn an income. So this was a dire place to be without kids. Naomi knew that she was going to have to beg to survive. And so at one point, she turns to Ruth and Orpah, and she says this, Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow to be your husbands? No, my dear daughters, return to your parents' homes. They were from the nation of Moab. For I am too old to marry again. So Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law, Hey, I, I'm not going to be able to have more children for you to marry. You, you might as well go back to Moab, meet some nice young man, and start your life over again. Next verse. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Sounds like a plan to me, she says. You know. Good idea, I'm out of here. Thanks for everything, it's been a good run. Next verse. But Ruth insisted on staying with Naomi. Same situation. One woman senses that she should go. The other one senses that she should stay. Naomi tries to talk Ruth out of this. And in the key verse of the entire book, here's what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, 
I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. I once heard pa Pastor Vadi Bachman say that if his wife ever leaves him, he's going to go with her. <laughs> and I love that because that's kind of what Ruth is saying to Naomi here. Hey, if you go, I'm, I'm going to go. And if you stay, I'm going to stay. And then notice this last line. She says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. In other words, I'm not just committing to you, Naomi. I'm actually committing my life to the one true and living God. Been so easy for Ruth to go. So easy. But Ruth chose to stay because she chose what was right over what was easy. And God blessed her for it. And I'm telling you, if you will choose what is right over what is easy, God is going to bless your life as well. See, Ruth went on to marry a wealthy landowner named Boaz. And they had a son named Obed, and Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, who went on to become the king of Israel. And if you go forward in the bloodline of David, you will find the name Jesus. Ruth was in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. It's a good thing she didn't go. Anyone here today wonder if you should go or if you should stay? Want some divine direction? Go if God's telling you to go, but don't go because it's the easy thing to do. Go because it's the right thing to do. And many times the right thing to do is to stay. But that's really hard. And some of you know what that's like because you're in a situation or a circumstance right now and everything in you goes, you know what? I know the right decision is to stay, but I just want to go. How do you find motivation to stay when you know that God wants you to stay? Let me give you two ways. Here's the first one. You have to harness the power of repetition. There is a power in repetition, but you never harness that power if you always start something and then go someplace else. If you always start something and then go someplace else. Years ago, our family went to Valley Fair, and they have this ride at Valley Fair called the North Star. Here's a picture of this. These swings are 20 stories off the ground. I didn't say 20 feet off the ground. I said 20 stories off the ground. That's 200 feet in the air. They travel up to speeds of 40 miles per hour. Now, I had been on all the big roller coasters that day with my older two sons, and I didn't have a problem with that. But I took two of my younger kids on this little balloon ride that spun in a circle. It was for kids five years and under. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I was in a cold sweat. I was closing my eyes. I almost raised my hand and was like, can you stop the ride? So when I saw this thing, I'm like, no chance. But my wife didn't want to go. And my daughter, who was seven at the time, really wanted to go. So I said, all right. So we get on this thing. And we start heading up, and I put my hand on my daughter. Just to reassure her, dad's here. It's going to be okay. We're, we're going to be fine. I'm, I'm with you. You're going to make it. I never move my hand. <laughs> but it wasn't because she needed it. She was yelling out, wee, this is so much fun. I was yelling, Lord, have mercy. This thing is a torture chamber. It just keeps going around and around faster and faster. I kept trying to do that trick where you pick a point on the horizon and just keep looking at it. But every time we whip around, I'd lose it. It was just a blur. 
And then I started looking at the crowd of people below me. And I started thinking, that turkey leg that I just ate, if it comes up, it's going 200 feet before it hits some guy in the head. Here's what I noticed about the North Star. There's no twists and there's no turns. Its power is found in a continuous movement in the same direction. Its power is found in its repetition. Powerful change rarely occurs in a person's life over the course of a few days. I mean, we would all love that. We would all love to say, hey, I'm eating healthy today. I'm not doing the whole 30, but I'm doing the whole day. I mean, I'm going to cut carbs and sugar out for the whole day. We would love for that to make a difference, but it really doesn't. And the same is true in many areas of life. I mean, you can exercise for a day. You can save the part of one paycheck. You can come to church every once in a while, and it will have an extremely limited effect. That's because it's not what we do that marks our life. It's what we do repeatedly that marks our life. So let me ask you, what is it that you repeat? Some of us would say, well, I, I read the Bible almost every day. And some days I don't even really understand what I'm reading, but the cumulative effect of that has given me wisdom so that I can make wise decisions. Some of us would say, I, I pray every day. And some days I'm really distracted, but that prayer time has given me a love for God that when something bad is happening, I just, I can trust him. Others of us would say, you know, every day I scroll through social media. I watch TV. I play video games. Some of us would say, every day I lose my temper. Every day I'm lying about something. Covering something up. Every day I'm trying to control the situation. Every day I drink. Every day I try to manipulate every day. And what's scary is that you can do some of those things for a day and it won't have much of an effect on your life. I mean, you can spend the whole day on social media and nothing would happen to you. But there's a cumulative effect over time. You see, after Ruth stays with Naomi, nothing much happens. In fact, Ruth just goes to this field where people are harvesting grain. And as they would drop some of the grain on the ground, she would come along and kind of scoop it up so that her and Naomi could live off of something. And she did this every single day until the owner of that field, Boaz, noticed her. And he said to his foreman, who's that woman? And the foreman said, well, she's this young woman from Moab. And then he adds these words. He says, she's been hard at work ever since. That's why she was noticed. It's the same for us. I mean, you can go to work and you can work hard a few days. You can get to work early and, and really go after it. And you're probably not going to get noticed. But if you work hard every single day, when it's time for a promotion, your name is going to get discussed. You may be able to do your homework once in a while. But if you work hard in school every single day, when it's time to take an ACT or an SAT, you're going to be prepared. And someone's going to notice you. You can work hard and practice every now and then and really train hard. But if you did that every day, more than other people, you might get noticed for a scholarship at some point down the road. 
It's the power of repetition. This is the mom or the dad who reads the same book to their kids every night. My kids have said to me before, hey, can you read that book again? I'm like, sure, just leave it on the shelf. I mean, I can recite that book to you. But that seemingly small little act of love leaves a lasting impression of safety in a kid's life. It's the youth ministry volunteer who every Wednesday night is pouring into teenagers and it doesn't seem like they're listening or paying attention. And then 10 years later, one of them calls up on the phone and says, I need to talk. It's the kids ministry volunteer who's here once a month or twice a month teaching little kids about Jesus. And you just think, well, what is this even doing? But those kids are building a foundation of faith that will carry them into adulthood. I love what author Jeff Mannion says about this. He says, greatness is rarely achieved by doing great things, but instead by doing good things repetitively. But you can't do good things repetitively if you're always going. At some point, you need to dig in and stay. Here's the second way that you can find motivation when you know you should stay, and it's this. You have to bring fresh energy to old things. Bring some fresh energy to old things. Several years ago, I was a guest speaker at a church, and it was a church very similar to Eagle Brook. I loved it. I felt right at home, except they had one big difference. Their nine o'clock service was the traditional service. And the senior pastor told me when I spoke at that service, I needed to be wearing a full suit. That would be rebellious at Eagle Brook. Like our senior pastor would tackle me off the platform if I did that. And people would go, we're a little worried about him. But since I was already in full rebellion, I did something else I had never done before. I took a selfie in the bathroom mirror. Here's a picture of me in my suit taking a selfie in the bathroom mirror. And I just have to tell you, this was not an easy picture to take. The first time I took it, I put the phone up and I was like, I can't see my face. (laughs) Couldn't figure it out. I had to Google, how do you take a selfie in the bathroom mirror? And all the articles that came up were about Kim Kardashian. (laughs) So I looked at her picture. I'm like, oh, you put it off to the side. And then I never knew what a gifted, talented individual Kim Kardashian was. I mean, there... (laughs) There's some artistic genius there that I was never aware of. But see, here's the thing about this picture. It generated buzz because I never wear a suit when I speak. If I did that every week, people would go, well, come on. I mean, I see that all the time. We get used to stuff. And this happens in life as well. Do you remember the first time that you saw your spouse get undressed? I mean, it was like there was a light coming from heaven and a choir of angels was singing hallelujah. (laughs) But now you've been married for 10 years and you've seen him get ready in the morning and get undressed for bed at night. And there's been bedhead and morning breath and meat sweats and more flannel pajamas than you care to admit. And all of a sudden you look around one day and you go, wait a minute. Why is there no light shining down from heaven? And why is the choir of angels singing the Beatles' 1968 hit, I'm So Tired? (laughs) But see, here's what happens to a lot of people. They get in a situation like that, and they go, oh, the sparks died out. We're not in love anymore. I need to go find someone else. I need to do something different. 
What I'm looking for, it's not here. Friends, I want to say to you today, you do not need a new marriage. You need to bring fresh energy to the marriage that you have. Plan a date night, even if it's after the kids go to bed. Write an encouraging note and put it someplace where they'll see it. Hold hands together. Pray together. Come to church with one another. Plan a weekend away. Bring some fresh energy to the marriage that you have. I'm convinced this is one of the keys of great leaders. Great leaders figure out a way to infuse their organization with some energy. If you're a leader, you ought to think about how can I do that this week? Because every day it's the same thing. It's same alarm clock, same rush hour traffic, same office building, same office, same meeting, same people, same goals, same mission. Great leaders figure out a way to bring innovation and creativity to the same. It's the teacher who brings a level of creativity and dedication to a lesson that they've taught for 20 years. It's the doctor who prays for every patient before they walk through that door they've walked through a thousand times. Again, author Jeff Mannion says it this way. He says, your greatest impact will be doing the same things with the same people for a long time. Your greatest impact, your greatest legacy will be to raise your kids together for the next 40 years. Your greatest impact will be to be in the same small group supporting the same people for the next 10 years. It'll be by doing the same things with the same people over a long period of time. Let me ask you, is there an area of your life right now where you need to bring some fresh energy to some old things? Years ago, I was contacted by a recruiter. He emailed me and said that there was this church in Northern California that was interested in having me come and be their teaching pastor. And I told him right away, I said, no, I'm, I'm really happy at Eagle Brook. I have no interest in that. Six months later, he called me again and he said, you know, this church, they went through the process with another person and it kind of fell through. They're really stuck on you. Would you consider applying for this job? I said, I have no interest whatsoever. A week later, he called me again and he said, would you just come out as a guest speaker? I mean, you don't even have to interview for the job. Would you just, would you just come out and guest speak at this church and see how you like it? I said, well, yeah, if I can bring my wife and come out to Northern California, that, that's, that's great. We'll do that. And so I got out there, and this church was a lot like Eagle Brook. I loved it. It was alive, and people were coming to faith in Christ. The only difference was it was in Northern California. And I started doing the calculations, and I'm like, how far are we from Tahoe and San Francisco and Napa and Los Angeles and the beach? And then it was November, and it was like 78 degrees and sunny outside. And so my wife and I looked at each other and we said, maybe God's saying go. And I still remember where I was. I sat down and I prayed about this. And I was talking to God and I didn't hear an audible voice, but I just knew that God was saying to me one word. And the word was stay. And at the time, I didn't even really understand it. I, I wouldn't really knew what God was doing, but today I know. And today I'm so grateful that at one of the critical moments of my life, I stayed. Sometimes the right decision is to stay. 
Sometimes the greatest impact that your life will have in this world will not come by going, it will come by staying. That the most faithful God-honoring step that you can take is to stay. As we conclude this series, as you walk out today, we're going to hand you this booklet. Because it struck us that every word of this series is a powerful word. Start, stop, go, or stay. And what I would love for you to do is just to block out some time with God this week. And there's some reflection questions on here. And just ask God some questions. God, what are you asking me to start? And maybe have your Bible open and pray about that. And what are you asking me to stop? And where are you telling me to go? And where are you saying, stay? See, go if God says to go. But don't just go because it's the easy thing to do. Go because it's the right thing to do. Sometimes you have to choose what is right over what is easy. Let's stand together and pray at all of our campuses. Hey, next week we are kicking off a new series. Bob's going to kick it off. Uh, the series called Make a Difference. going to be a great series. Love to have you join us for that. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who is wondering, should I stay or should I go? That they've got a decision to make in their life and they've been wrestling with this and wondering about it. And I pray, God, that you would speak right to them. God, if it's the right decision to go, then speak to them to go. Give them the courage to go. But God, if that's just the easy way, if that's just the easy decision, then God, I pray that they would stay. And I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength and the power to work through difficult circumstances and situations. God, sometimes the greatest impacts of our life, the greatest moments of our life will be when we stay. And so, God, I pray that you would speak that to us. God, we may not know what the future holds or what you're doing or saying, but may we trust you and trust that you know the future and you know best. God, I thank you that you are a God who speaks into our life. Pray that you would continue to speak to us this week. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. We've got a group of people who would love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a great weekend.